Radio Gag, the Gays Against Guns show. Prepare to gag, yeah. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to Radio Gag, the weekly Gays Against Guns show. Radio Gag is your weekly update on how to end the horror that is the American gun violence epidemic. I'm Libby Edwards. And I'm Sarah Germain Lilly. Today we bring you How to Be an Artivist, part two, in our series about the vibrant power of using art to move the public and elected officials to change our lives for the better. Artivism is gays against guns wheelhouse. And so today we bring you an interview from this year's Pride All-Star Show with Tigger, aka Jim Ferguson, who created the concept of the human beings whom we call the HBs, that have been featured in Vogue magazine and public media and are present at most gag events. And we feature an interview with Cleve Jones, the founder of the AIDS Quilt Names Project that Josh and I did for our Harvey Milk Day podcast. Thank you to Tricia Cook for contributing our In Memoriam. This is a time during our show when we honor those who have lost their lives to gun violence to inspire us to continue this work. On the morning of November 27, 2015, a mass shooting occurred at a Planned Parenthood clinic in Colorado Springs, Colorado, which killed three people and injured nine. Among those killed was Kier Stewart, an Iraq War veteran and the father of two young daughters. Kier was accompanying a friend to an appointment and was shot when he stepped outside the Colorado Springs Clinic to find cell phone service. He ran back inside the building after being shot to warn others to take cover, said his brother, Leonte Chandler. I believe that's his military instinct, you know. Leave no soldier behind, leave no civilian behind, just leave no one behind, Leonte said. So he ran back in tr inside, trying to help out others. I don't know where he was at, as far as how many more breaths he had, but he knew. And before his time ran out, I guess that was his main priority, to help save other lives. He added, my anger is not toward the gunman. My anger is toward the laws that allow things like this to happen. The gun laws. When you allow people to carry firearms at their own will, it makes breeding ground for destruction and tragedy. Kier Stewart grew up in Waco, Texas, where he played football for the La Vega High School Pirates. In 2004, shortly after his high school graduation, he joined the Army and deployed to Iraq. Amber Butler, his childhood friend and high school sweetheart, says Kier would write her letters from Iraq that described the horrors of fighting on the front lines. He would tell me how terrible it was, how many guys he watched die. It was terrible for him, Butler said. He returned to the United States to be stationed at Fort Carson in Colorado Springs in 2013 and was discharged from the military the following year. He went someplace where people expect to die, says Butler, only to come back and be killed. To know that he went out and served his country and to come home to be murdered is unimaginable. She spoke with Kier the day before he died. I called him and said, Happy Thanksgiving, don't eat too much turkey, you need to watch your hips. And we laughed and joked, and that was it. I didn't think that was the last time I talked to him. I would have said something different. 
I probably would have told him that I loved him. That conversation would have been about Turkey. It would have been about things like, you made an impact on my life. Thank you for being so kind. Kier would take a bullet for you, she said. He was the most sincere person I'd ever met. Thank you, Tricia, for that moving profile of a military veteran. Today, I am shocked and saddened by the killing of a family in Lakeland, Florida, by an ex-Marine with PTSD and depression. While there is little correlation between mental illness and this kind of horrific violence, there can be gun safety policy in America that prevents and reduces the frequency of these attacks. That the police intervened before the incident and that many neighbors called 911 and police were on the scene of the shooting for a second time as the killings occurred speaks to the deadly efficiency of the semi-automatic weapon the gunman used. I have to agree with Leonte, Kier's brother, who said he's angry at people who allow these weapons to be carried at will. I, too, am frustrated by people who insist they have a constitutional right to carry weapons without the regulations stipulated by the Second Amendment. I am deeply angry at politicians who accept support from the gun lobby and the gun industry that insists on its right to manufacture and market weapons of war to American citizens while denying responsibility, fighting gun safety legislation, and hiding behind legal immunity. The killer's behavior during the week prior to the murders should have engaged prevention measures. The marketing of these weapons as a modern hunting rifle is a smokescreen for the profits made from weapons that are designed to kill people, not deer. If you are also shocked and saddened by these murders, please consider supporting a gun violence prevention organization, such as March for Our Lives, Change the Ref, Gifford's Gun Owners for Safety, Newtown Action Alliance, Everytown, Moms Demand Action, or Gays Against Guns. The gun industry doesn't need your money. Gun violence prevention groups do. Now we'll hear an interview that I did with Tigger, a.k.a. Jim Ferguson, last June for our Pride All-Stars 2021 show. I wanted to talk to Tigger because he developed the concept of human beings, which is integral to the message of Gays Against Guns. We are happy to welcome Tigger James Ferguson, who created the concept of the human beings known as HBs. Tigger, how did that concept come to you and what does it mean? Hi, uh, well, uh, you know what happened, uh, everyone knows, June 12th, 2016. And um, as, as it was with many of us, it hit much more personally. Of All of these massacres, these death, murders, suicides, all of it, uh, matter and hurt, but this was very personal because it was in a gay bar, it was in our sanctuary. Um, it was the difference between talking about the Oklahoma City bombing and then suddenly it was 9-11. It happened to us, was the feeling. Um, I'd done 
political actions and memorials, a lot of them, you know, lived through uh, a lot of years of the AIDS crisis. Uh, and this just felt different. I felt like we needed to do something to um, disrupt the pride so-called parade with real grief and real recognition of what was happening. And so I talked to my husband about it and we both felt like there, there were, are just so many gun deaths. People have lost track of the numbers. They're not real to them. They hear 49 and it's just a number. And we agreed that people needed to experience what the absence of 49 people looked and felt like. Um, so we wanted to just take over a part of the parade and have 49 people standing in for people. Since we're standing in for them, it's not about us. So we needed ourselves covered. So we decided to bail. Uh, there were too damn many fun funerals. So enough black clothing already. We went, wanted to just go with white to just kind of erase. Um, so we knew we wanted 49 of us dressed in white to just be there and covering our faces and holding up the faces of the people who should have been able to enjoy their pride and never could again. Um, that was the basic idea. And the trick was getting 47 of our friends to commit absolutely and not let us down. And then trying to figure out how to get in. Um, you know, I, for decades, I just did a punk rock. I just stood and watched the parade and jumped in when I felt like it. That's tricky to do with 49 people. Um, and by beautiful chance, I happened to find out through a friend about this new group that was also moved to do something uh, and heard about Gays Against Guns, I think the day before their first meeting. So Machine and I came in, Machine uh -huh. was our first friend we called and, and right away we clicked and I knew this was the perfect home and the perfect fit for what I wanted to do because among other things, Gays Against Guns, the marchers could handle the rage and leave us to just focus on the grief. Thank you. You're listening to Radio Gag, the Gays Against Gun show here on listener-sponsored commercial-free WBAI 99.5 FM. We are here every Tuesday at 2.30 p.m. bringing you the latest in gun violence prevention movement news. Last spring, our producer Josh Jaden and I interviewed Cleve Jones of the AIDS quilt, The Names Project, for our Harvey Milk Day special. Cleve is a fundamental example of artivism, using art to protest and promote social change. We're speaking here with Cleve Jones, human rights activist, Cleve, you've already had such an impact on our lives and on me personally through the AIDS quilt, the Names Project. What do you say has had an, an impact, maybe what you're proudest of, or what do you really value about the work that you've done? Well, thank you. That's um, an extremely kind question, and I, I do appreciate it. And of course, uh, the impact of the quilt was extraordinary. and. 
even before it started, when I was just thinking about it and trying to convince people that it could work and be useful, I just had this, I guess, a little video running in my head of families of all types gathering on uh, living room floors and places of worship, community centers to share stories about their loved ones while working with their hands to create art. And uh, it's extraordinary now for me to think, you know, how many uh, tens of thousands of people participated in that process, how many uh, millions of people viewed displays of the quilt in person and how many hundreds of millions received its message. So clearly, you know, that was something amazing. Um, I'm 66 now, and I think that probably what I'm most proud of is simply that I'm still doing this, that I've endured, I've made many mistakes and fallen flat on my face more times than I can count, but I keep going and I'm proud that I've kept going and I'm still doing it. Thank you. It's fantastic. You, you got your start when you were pretty young yourself. Could you tell me about uh, those those days in San Francisco when you yourself were younger and just getting started uh, working in social justice? When I was a child, uh, I grew up mostly in a suburb of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and then we moved to Phoenix, Arizona when I started high school in 1968, which is a year, of course, of, of uh, great chaos in the United States. And my parents had been early supporters of the movement and the war in Vietnam. They'd supported Dr. King. So I grew up in a, in a family that honored the civil rights leaders of that time, wanted to end the war. Uh, it was, my mother was an early feminist. We uh, you know, circulated petitions for the Equal Rights Amendment. <clears throat> so I grew up with the, uh, early with an understanding that there was a broad and deep global movement for peace and justice. Uh, and then, you know, I was harboring this terrible secret about who I was. It wasn't really a secret, though, because I was um, bullied constantly, you know, being called a sissy and uh, treated rather badly by the other kids in the school um, and many adults. So I began to plan my exit. And, you know, I'm, I'm I, I, undeniably, we've made enormous progress. but. I have no doubt that within just a short distance of where I'm sitting right now and where you are sitting, there is some child, some adolescent who uh, knows that they are queer or trans and doesn't believe that they will ever be happy or ever be loved, and they are getting ready to take their own lives. Um, you know, I was one of those kids, and I was stealing uh, pills from my my parents. Both had had surgeries, so. There was a lot. There was a lot, a lot of strong medication in the in the bathroom medicine cabinet, and I was stealing them one by one and hiding them in a stash under the carpet in a corner of my bedroom, because I knew that at some point soon I would be discovered, and the only thing to do then would be to kill myself. Um, and then, uh, at the end of 1971. I was hiding out in the school library, avoiding the bullies in gym class. And I read uh, the, I picked up the year in review uh, issue of Life Magazine, year in review in 1971. And right on the cover, along with all the other issues that they were going to examine in that special edition, it said gay liberation. 
and it blew my mind. Wow. Uh, I, I opened it up, and the first thing I see was a headline that said, Homosexuals in Revolt. It showed uh, members of uh, Gay Activist Alliance and Greenwich Village marching through the street with their fists in the air. They were hot, and I was... <laughs> You know, my mind was blown because in one moment, boom, I understood that I was not alone, that there were other people just like me, uh, and that there was a community for people like us, and that there was a movement that was part of the larger movement that my family and I had already uh, belonged to. So I joined the movement uh, when I was still in high school back in Phoenix, Arizona, some of those stories in Life magazine were about San Francisco. And of course, this was long before the internet. So it took a while for me to very carefully and secretively research, uh, find out whatever I could. Back then, The Advocate was really the only publication that linked us. And if a copy of The Advocate made it to Phoenix, Arizona, it would be passed around from hand to hand until it disintegrated. And I joined a little group called GLAD, Gay Liberation Arizona Desert. Mm. And then um, I, a bunch of us drove up to San Francisco for Pride and also a Quaker Yearly Meeting, Pacific Yearly Meeting. I was very involved in the Society of Friends, partly, uh, I met them partly through uh, anti-war work, but was very involved with it. And so that summer after I graduated from high school, I came out on a trip to San Francisco and just fell in love with the city and you know it was still uh, it was it was just so brand new the whole idea right. of us rising up uh, finding each other the idea of gay people being happy was just so unusual and uh, let alone militant and ready to fight and mm-hmm. so for me even though I was poor and on the street, you know, when I first got to San Francisco, I was homeless for quite a while and had to do all of the, you know, grimy things one has to do in those situations to survive. But I just thought this was the grandest adventure I could possibly imagine. Gays Against Guns was founded in the days and weeks after the Pulse Massacre. And one thing that we knew at that time that we wanted to do was not take the easy way out, was to in your words, hit the streets when you were talking about those early days in your own activism, hitting the pavement, literally putting our bodies on the line figuratively and literally by doing die-ins during Heritage of Pride's march. What are some of the ways that you think we can recruit members to our cause? First of all, movements must grow. The minute your movement stops growing, stops bringing in new blood and new energy and new ideas, you're in trouble. For me, a big crucial first step is the language we use. And I think that so many of us, especially on the queer left, use a language and a vocabulary that is inaccessible and elitist and arrogant. And people don't get it. They just can't hear what you're saying because you're using, it's like, it's mind numbing. And it steps on, it squashes the message. So I think language is something I've always really paid attention to. And, and then communicating your message without browbeating, without guilt tripping, without finger wagging, but focusing clearly on the issue in language that everyone can understand. 
Another thing that um, I think is important is to show universality. Our people have a particular interest in ending gun violence. But as we do that, we don't want to claim some exclusivity. We want to be part of like supporting all, as you guys have done, supporting all of the students who are, have said, you know, I grew up going to high school afraid I was going to get shot. Mm-hmm. You know, find common ground. This, I learned this from Harvey. You, you, he was so adept at reaching out to all different kinds of people. He could talk to the firefighters at the union hall. He could talk to homeless people pushing shopping carts. He could talk to rich white ladies on Knob Hill and fur coats. He could talk to anybody you could imagine and somehow find some kind of common ground and then begin that conversation. But for our community, I think when people think about gun violence, they think about things like the, the horror at, at Pulse and the ongoing violence, uh, particularly right now, there's a whole, obviously a, a real wave of violence against trans women of color. And, but we also need to remember that our kids are still killing themselves. And the use of firearms in suicide is, it's the most effective use. I imagine you, and many of your listeners know people who have survived suicide attempts. I regret to say that I know quite a few people who have attempted to take their life. One happens to be a very brilliant young man that I just met quite recently, and he attempted it uh, with a razor blade Mm. and changed his mind. You can't change your mind if you've just pulled the trigger. I, I regret how many people I know who took their lives with firearms. It's, it's a horrible, horrible thing, and you can't take it back. You can't have second thoughts. And what you leave for your survivors is you know, a lifetime of nightmares. So I think that we have a particular interest in fighting gun violence and drawing out the, the, the commonality of the experiences of so many different kinds of people in so many different kinds of communities across the country who are affected by this issue like no other country in the world. That's exactly right. Thanks to our guests, Tigger and Cleve Jones. And thanks to our Radio Gag team on today's program, Josh Jaden, Tricia Cook, Libby Edwards, and I am Sarah Germain Lilly. To find out more about working with us, please go to gazeagainstguns.net or follow us at Gaze Against Guns NY on Facebook and Instagram or Gag No Guns on Twitter. Also, be sure to check out our website to learn more about our meetings and actions. Come to a meeting. Here in New York, we meet one Thursday a month at 7 p.m. in Manhattan at the LBGT Center on 13th Street. Our next meeting is September 30th at 7 p.m., where we will be planning all kinds of great action and protests. So please join us. Everybody is welcome at any and all gag events. Remember, all are welcome to our gag meetings. And another great way to get involved is by becoming a BAI buddy. 
a BAI buddy is someone who keeps our unique volunteer-run radio show going by giving a small donation every month. The so-called gun rights movement is funded at up to 10 times the amount of the gun violence prevention movement. Your monthly contribution of 5 to $25 can really help keep Radio Gag on the air here at WBAI and keep the issue of gun violence in front of the public and our elected officials. Just go to WBAI.org or call 212-209-2950. That's WBAI.org or call 212-209-2950 and become a BAI buddy in the name of Radio Gag. Thank you. Thanks for listening. And we're back next Tuesday and every Tuesday at 2.30 p.m.